Welcome to Back to Health, your source for the latest in health, wellness, and medical care. Keeping you informed so you can make informed healthcare choices for yourself and your whole family. Back to Health features conversations about trending health topics and medical breakthroughs from our team of world-renowned physicians at Weill Cornell Medicine. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're evaluating the risk of summer activities amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Joining me is Dr. Matthew Simon. He's an associate hospital epidemiologist and an assistant professor of clinical medicine in the Division of Infectious Diseases at New York Presbyterian Hospital Weill Cornell Medical Center. Dr. Simon, it is such a pleasure to have you here, and what a great topic. So many people have many questions. Let's start with what have we learned about how the virus is transmitted? What do we know now that we maybe didn't know six months ago? Thanks, Melanie. It's great to be here. What we know now is that the virus is transmitted through close contact with another person who's infected. And I think one of the key things that we've learned is that people can be asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic before the onset of symptoms and still potentially transmit the virus to other people. So I think that's one of the key points that we've learned since the start of the outbreak that wasn't really recognized early on and it's important for people uh, to understand. I think another key point is that you really have to be in close contact with another person to become infected. And the role of surfaces, it seems to be really less important. It's not impossible, but really not the primary mode of transmission of this virus. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Simon, for clearing that up. That's really interesting news. Now, as the summer's in full swing and we want to go to beaches or take our kids to the park, tell us the current recommendations as to activities that we can do safely. What are some guiding principles to keep in mind, Dr. Simon? Yeah, I think those guiding principles are really important. Full disclosure here, even though I'm the epidemiologist, my wife really decides what we're going to do over the summer. So I think that's really important for families to decide together kind of what activities they're they're willing to do. I think it's hard to make clear recommendation one way or other. I think a lot of the decision-making should be based on the risk assessment, and some of that needs to be individualized based on what you and your family are, are comfortable doing. Outdoors is much, much lower risk than indoors, and that's because the ventilation really just dilutes out the virus, and it's much, much more difficult to transmit the virus in an outdoor versus an indoor setting. Second is uh, who are you going to be in contact with? Are these people in your household? Are they people that you know really well and already have contact with? Or or, uh, are they a lot of people that you don't know? And what's the number of people you're going to come into contact? And and really, what's the possibility for physical distancing? How long are you going to be in contact uh, with, with people? So avoiding crowds, uh, I think, is another really important guiding guiding principle. So then let's dig into some of these things. Family barbecues, and I'm grappling with this one myself. What should we keep in mind? Because we can keep our distance, we can wear masks, but there's the table where we put out the potato salad or the hot dogs. And you mentioned surfaces. 
in the answer to your first question. So, I mean, are we sharing a spoon to dig out the potato salad? Should we be wearing gloves, one person up at the table at the time? You know, how can that all work? Yeah, I, I think an outdoor bar- barbecue with family is, is something that's okay. I think, as you said, that maintaining a distance is key. I think in terms of the surfaces, there's ways to kind of minimize uh, the number of people who are, are touching, you know, serving trays. I think you want to have hand height Purell or, you know, readily available or any alcohol-based hand sanitizer. So I, I think as long as people are, are conscious of the social distancing and um, trying to minimize touching common surfaces, uh, I think an outdoor barbecue is, you know, is a lower risk activity. People could really bring their own spoons when they're digging into that stuff too. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. Keeping the, keeping the Purell around is a really great idea. What about family vacations? A lot of families want to take some kind of a vacation, but they're not sure if they can go somewhere where the where they will feel safe or if they should not be stopping at rest stops. If someone does take a vacation, what's the safest way to travel right now, Dr. Simon? Is flying safe? Tell us a little bit about vacations. Yeah, I, I think it's it's okay to go on a vacation. I think you want to be conscious of where you're traveling to and what's the risk of what's the transmission like in that state. Uh, So a lot of states in the U.S. right now are experiencing outbreaks. So you want to have some sense of how much transmission is going on in the community that you're you're visiting. So I think that's an important piece of the risk assessment. Uh, I think, you know, car is probably the safest way to travel with your family just because you're not going to be coming into contact uh, with other people as frequently. Planes uh, themselves, the the air circulation is actually uh, pretty good. It's not as bad as people sometimes think, and it gets filtered. So if you really do need to f- uh, fly, it's kind of more about minimizing your interaction with all the other people that you're going to be traveling with and, and still kind of trying to maintain some distance on the flight as much, much as possible. So I, I think... Vacations are safe, but you want to really think through how how are you going to get there? Where am I going to be staying? And what are the interactions with, with other people going to be like? As far as rest stops are concerned, I, I mean, I think that's a necessi- unavoidable. You know, as, as you're driving along the highway, there's definitely risks of just pulling over uh, on the side of the road. So I, I think when you're using a rest stop, I think you want to go in and out as quickly as possible, you know, wearing your mask and then just performing good hand hygiene after you're you're using the the, the restroom. And I think it's there's really not uh, a high risk of transmission from the restroom itself. It's going to be again the proximity to other people. So really trying to minimize that as much as possible. But there's definitely an ick factor, but I think it's 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 safe to use the restroom, taking the precautions uh, that we just talked about. Well, thank you for that. So unfortunately, many people have had to cancel their weddings. If they decide to have a small one, how small is acceptable? Because we keep hearing 
in the news about smaller groups and smaller crowds, and they talk about school classrooms of being a certain number. What is that number? As an epidemiologist, an infectious disease specialist, what is that small number that is acceptable? Yeah, I think for a wedding, there's no kind of one one number that's right. I think the smaller, the better uh, is what I, from minimizing the risk of transmission standpoint. Uh, but I think at least in New York state right now, the minimum or the maximum number of people that can gather at any one time is 25. So that would be the highest, the most number of people. But I would just say that the smaller, the better in terms of, you know, any gathering. Well, that's very good advice, something I know that a lot of people want to know. And if restaurants start seating people outside or even some are doing inside, can we start eating out at restaurants? I mean, we can't eat with a mask on. Can we sit outside and eat? Are the tables far enough apart? What do you want us to know about that? I think that's a great Great question. I think it's something you want to check out ahead of time. You're right. You're going to be a little bit exposed because of not being able to wear a mask when you're eating. I think in general, outdoor dining is safe. But again, it's who are you going out with? Are you going out with your household? Or are you going out with a close friend who you know, you, you've already been seeing? So I think the risk, again, is really from the other, the other people that you're going to be eating with. Uh, there's not uh, there's no evidence right now around transmission through food. Uh, so I, I think uh, that is safe. But again, it's, you know, how far apart the, are the tables and who are you going to be, be with? So what about nail and beauty salons? Again, we're hearing about people really wanting to go to barber shops. Can we safely get these kinds of things done? And if so, what should we be doing to really make sure we're safe? Yeah, I think that adds another uh, element of risk going to the, the barbershop or a nail salon. Just One, it's indoors. You're going to be in close contact with the barber or the person who's doing your nails. You know, you definitely need to be wearing a mask. Both people need to be wearing a mask. I think there's some things you can do to try and minimize, you know, making an appointment ahead of time so you're not waiting in the waiting area with other people. And I think if, you know, that's kind of an individual assessment, how badly do, do I need to get this done versus kind of waiting, you know, or, or finding another way to, to get your hair cut or get your nails done. So I think that's an individual decision. It does potentially add, add another element of risk. But I think with, you know, everyone wearing a mask, you know, it, it is possible uh, to do those things safely. Another thing I've heard a lot discussed, but not really answered so much, Dr. Simon, is pool parties. Are they safe? Are bodies of water safe? You spoke about transmission, but what about public pools? Can it be transmitted in water at all? There's no evidence that water itself can transmit the coronavirus. In fact, that chlorine is really going to inactivate it. So it's not any risk with a, a public pool is not from the, the actual pool or from the water. It's from the, you know, coming into close contact with other people. You can't really wear your mask in the pool and the water gets wet, doesn't work. So uh, I think as long as people are able to maintain, you know, safe distance, six feet, a pool going to a pool is safe. But if there's going to be crowding, that's where it, 
it gets a little much more riskier. Well, then along those lines, as summer gets pretty hot and there's water fountains around if we're having a barbecue or we're out at a park and there's water fountains, they're tempting. Can we use them or is that not a good I mean, I think it's definitely better to have your own water readily available. But if, you know, you're just famished and, and really dehydrated and need to get a drink, I think it's okay to, to use the, you know, a public fountain. But you want to, you know, have some... Uh, hand sanitizer available and just de-germ your hands uh, afterwards. Well, that's so important for people to hear. And now that museums are open again, is it safe to go to museums? How can we keep our distance if we're going to things like museums or even sporting events? Because some kids' sports have started back up again. Tell us a little bit about things where we might have to be around other people. Yeah, I think... This is where the masks really, really become important. In terms of museums, I think there's definitely a big, especially indoor museums where it can be crowded. I think that's probably still something most people want to avoid unless they're really able to maintain some physical physical distancing in the museum. I think the sporting events, the outdoors is okay as long as again, people are able to maintain some physical distance and people are able to wear masks. The masks are are really, really effective in being able to contain the spread of the virus, both for the person who's wearing them and and everyone else around them. So I really can't emphasize the mask wearing enough, whatever you're doing, whether it's indoors or outdoors. That's, That's really, really important. So before I even ask you my last question, Dr. Simon, how can we encourage exercise and activity when we might be feeling pretty unmotivated right now, nervous to go out even to our local parks or go for a walk because we're not sure if we might pass somebody? I mean, people are getting pretty nervous. What would you like us to know about the importance of getting out, getting some fresh air, getting some activity? I think it's really important for people's mental health to to be able to get outside and get some fresh air, to get some exercise. I think it's definitely understandable to be apprehensive. And and I think it's important to be conscious that there's still some risk out there no matter no matter what we do. And I think, you know, people have to listen to themselves. They'll have to kind of decide for themselves when they when they feel ready. But I I think just for a mental health aspect, it's really important to get outside and get some uh, exercise and remembering the principles of wearing your mask uh, and really trying to maintain a a safe distance from other people as much as you can. There's really not a risk of transmission just passing someone on the street. It, It really does need to be more prolonged direct contact. So I would encourage people not to let that uh, inhibit them from from going out. It's so important. And as a wrap up, Dr. Simon, if people are concerned about certain activities that we've discussed here, what would you like them to know about continuing their care, the importance of this continuum of care at this time? And is it still very safe to see our healthcare providers making sure that we stay safe, but making sure that we keep up with our annual well visits and our flu shots because flu season is coming? What would you like us to know, Dr. Simon? Kind of summarize that for us. Yeah, I think it's really important for everyone to be in touch with their 
provider, with their doctor. I think, you know, there's been a lot of delays in care because of this pandemic. And this is a great opportunity to, you know, reach back out, reestablish care. There's uh, video visits, even if you need to go in person uh, for a vaccination, the flu season is going to be coming up in a few months. Really, really important to still get your uh, flu shot. And, you know, I think there's really enhanced safety protocols that, that have been put into place. The waiting rooms have been redesigned. Everyone is is wearing masks. So I, I think if you, it's a great time to kind of re-engage in care and to restart that, all those well visits and preventive care that, that is, is really, really important. Thank you so much, Dr. Simon, for joining us today and sharing your incredible expertise with answers to questions that everybody wants to know. So thank you so much. And while Cornell Medicine will continue to offer video visits for consultations and discussion to minimize travel, and you can be confident of the safety of in-person appointments when needed. That concludes today's episode of Back to Health. We'd like to thank our listeners and invite our audience to download, subscribe, rate, and review Back to Health on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Google Play Music. For more health tips, go to wildcornell.org and search podcasts. And parents, don't forget to check out Kids HealthCast. I'm Melanie Cole. If you or a loved one is undergoing cancer treatment, rehabilitation medicine can help with recovery and ease painful side effects. If you'd like to learn more about cancer care, we have a podcast dedicated to oncology, CancerCast, hosted by Dr. John Leonard, a leading hematology oncologist. All information contained in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes. The information is not intended nor suited to be a replacement or substitute for professional medical treatment or for professional medical advice relative to a specific medical question or condition. We urge you to always seek the advice of your physician or medical professional with respect to your medical condition or questions. While Cornell Medicine makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast, and any reliance on such information is done at your own risk. Participants may have consulting, equity, board membership, or other relationships with pharmaceutical, biotech, or device companies unrelated to their role in this podcast. No payments have been made by any company to endorse any treatments, devices, or procedures. And while Cornell Medicine does not endorse, approve, or recommend any product, service, or entity mentioned in this podcast, opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and do not represent the perspectives of Weill Cornell Medicine as an institution.